From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is the week's worst with Allen and Veda. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Chief Investigative Officer and Vice President at the Capitol Research Center. And I'm Matthew Veda, Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Jay Klein, media producer at the Capitol Research Center, and I'll be moderating this podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. The main topic for this episode is going to be the uh, U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligences, uh, having heard testimony from Jeff Sessions, uh, the attorney general in the Trump administration, and James Comey, former head of the FBI. But first, there's some news of the morning that we want to Uh, deal with some sad news. Uh, Unfortunately, there was a shooting in Alexandria, Virginia, in which uh, Congressman and House Majority Whip Steve Scalise um, was injured, and at least four other people were wounded as well. The suspected gunman is James T. Hodgkinson, 66, from Illinois, and uh, I I believe he's been shot now and is is dead. any comments on this? And he said before he opened fire, firing a reported 50 rounds or more, he asked, are these uh, baseball players Republicans or Democrats? And he was told by Congressman uh, Duncan Hunter of California, as I just heard on the radio, uh, that they were Republicans. And, and then and he immediately, then he more or less immediately opened fire on the crowd. And for those who don't follow this sort of thing, uh, there's an annual baseball game between the Democrats and Republicans in Congress. It raises a lot of money for charities. I believe the Washington, D.C. area Boys and Girls Clubs. Uh, they were talking about this year they're going to raise, uh, I heard the figure, more than $600,000. Uh, so this was practice for that game. And the Republicans uh, obviously practiced in one area uh, separate from the Democrats. And so this uh, gunman comes up and uh, starts shooting at people at the Republican practice. Uh, and then uh, wounds, uh, wounds, uh, wounds Congressman Scalise. Also, according to the reports we have right now, and these are always subject to uh, better reporting later, uh, but one of, uh, one of the congressional aides, an aide to a, a congressman from Texas, uh, was also hit. And I believe uh, two members of the, of the protective uh, uh, service that were sent there from the Capitol Police and uh, and one of you know they they're of course being described as heroes. Um, uh, for example, I, I understand one of them was shot in the foot, and she returned fire. And obviously, when you have a gunman out there, if you had not had other people armed, uh, it was uh, several minutes before the police could get there. Even though that was in a an area that's widely um, patrolled by police, uh, you still in a few minutes you could kill a lot of people. And uh, we you know it's a sad day, and of course we hope everyone. Uh, is all right, uh, but uh, it's certainly true that this could have been a lot worse. And, of course, Democrats will still find an excuse to whine about gun control and say that fewer guns means less crime, which is abject nonsense, but we know they're going to do it, so... Oh, you had an... Uh, Set your stopwatch. You had an Islamofascist supporter of Hillary kill 49 gay people at a nightclub, and of course it became an argument over gun control. And let me mention, uh, you know, the Gabby Giffords case, which is the one that is... Uh, most similar to this, a shooting at a mall where uh, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords was seriously injured, uh, suffered brain damage. Uh, they just recently named a 
ship after her, uh, and they had the ceremony. Uh, she still speaks haltingly, and other people were killed. Uh, it was a horrible incident. It was blamed falsely on uh, conservatives, Tea Party people. Uh, it was, uh, which was an incredible outrage. Um, they, one of the things they said was that Sarah Palin was somehow responsible because she had on a uh, on her. Uh, uh, her uh, political action committee website, a map which was showing targeted congressional districts, which is a term that goes back pretty much to Abraham Lincoln, uh, targeted congressional districts, and therefore she was targeting people to be shot. This was the subject of all four morning talk shows on the following Sunday of how uh, the conservative and Republican and, and Libertarian and Tea Party incivility was the reason something like this happened. The guy turned out to be a, a lefty, right. hated, hated George Steve, W. Bush. Steve, Let's not leap to hasty conclusions. But let me—I should point out that I broke the story. I had let's this, not. Let's—that would be so uncool. Right. I broke the story. I had the scoop that, in fact, within an hour and 15 minutes after the shooting, that the Daily Coast, a uh, left-wing website, was trying to get reporters to report the story, blame it on Palin and, and conservatives. And, in fact, it was the Daily Coast that had posted an article— uh, when uh, Gabby Giffords, even though a Democrat, had voted against Nancy Pelosi for speaker just before this, this incident, and uh, uh, this uh, left winger had posted on the Daily Coast uh, a story headlined "Dead to Me," and so I can certainly understand why the Daily Coast, which had posted that story "Dead to Me" regarding Gabby Giffords, would then want to falsely blame it on uh, Sarah Palin and company, and of course the media all went along like little lapdogs. So. Well, um, you know, certainly I think the lesson to learn from that is, uh, you know, it can happen on one side of the aisle. It can happen on the other side of the aisle. Um, best just that our, our thoughts and, and best wishes go out to uh, the victims and their families um, and uh, just avoid politicizing it to the best of our ability for now. OK, let's move on to uh, the main topic of today's episode. So. Jeff Sessions and James Comey have both testified in the last week. Uh, I suspect we will both agree about uh, Jeff Sessions' testimony, which you know I thought was very good and, and professional. Yes, there and was might, there was testimony, and we might get into some arguments <laughs> about um, about James Comey's testimony. So, so broadly, uh, let's start with Sessions, who was the most recent. What did, what did you think? I thought that uh, I thought that Jeff Sessions uh, was taking aim at. Um, all the crazy conspiracy theorists who see everything that he has done and that the Trump administration has done, even before it was sworn into office, when it was just a transition team, or even before that, when it was just a campaign, is everything uh, that is seen as as being in league with a hostile foreign power, Russia. And this is nonsense, and he fought back at that. And um, when his... Um, Patriotism was questioned by Senator Ron Hyden, Democrat, Oregon. He pushed back and he said that, um, uh, uh, you know, there are certain matters he couldn't discuss that that he had uh, talked about with the president, but this was shielded by, um, uh, you know, by confidentiality and he couldn't discuss it. Uh, He said that he was not stonewalling that he was just doing his job, and he's right. Um, presidential advisors and attorneys general in the past don't have to disclose everything. In fact, they shouldn't, that every every candid discussion they've had with the president, because the president has to be 
able to receive good, you know, frank advice, and you don't need people knowing about it later. Uh, he also said that it was an appalling and detestable lie for him to be accused of um, of of plotting with Russia. And he pointed out he'd served this country for 35 years, 20 years in the U.S. Senate, which he was a member of up until a few months ago when he was sworn in as Attorney General. So uh, Jeff Sessions was trying to set the record straight, and there was some, and we saw uh, a few uh, flashes of righteous anger from uh, the former Alabama senator. Yeah, where does he go to get his reputation back? I mean, here you have somebody who uh, is uh, someone who stood up to the racists in Alabama to get uh, elected to office uh, when he was a U.S. attorney, went after uh, went after Klan folks uh, in Alabama. That's, of course, my home state. I was uh, very much aware of what he was doing. He was a hero to those of us who were fighting racism. And, uh, and then to be accused, uh, he's characterized on Saturday Night Live as somebody who uses the N-word. Uh, he's shown as a Forrest Gump character, that is to say, is what we used to say, mentally retarded, a person who's challenged in that way. Uh, he is, at one point in a Saturday Night Live sketch, fed a pie that included excrement because, of course, this is the only thing proper for someone of his horrible, horrible ilk. This is how he's treated. Uh, they make fun of his name, middle name, Beauregard, which he didn't pick, <laughs> and uh, uh, that shows him, I guess, to be a, a redneck or something, uh, you know, because... Or, or, or a character in Gone with the Wind. Right, and, uh, and of course, I remember the left having, they used to have a problem with making fun of folks for their middle name. But anyway, um, <laughs> Barack, who, anyway, so so here you have Jeff Sessions. Uh, he's fighting these absurd charges. Uh, he answered at one point, uh, a guy from Saturday Night Live, Senator Al Franken, uh, asked him a question about, you know, were, were you colluding with the Russians? Were you meeting with the Russians to plot things in this campaign? And he said that in the context of the campaign, uh, he did have one meeting at the Republican National Convention, where there were a hundred people there, fifteen ambassadors, uh, and uh, this is a long-standing thing where they bring in the ambassadors. Ambassadors are kind of like the PR people, the grand, uh, the the people who shake your hand at receptions and have dinner with senators in the in the Senate dining room. Uh, Britt Hume of, of Fox News was recounting how the last time he was in the Senate dining room, he saw uh, Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, having dinner with a senator. Nobody thought anything of it, uh, and uh, so here Sessions uh, runs into him at this thing, and that supposedly as part of the spy uh, effort uh, and uh, then later has a meeting it's on his public schedule uh, and in his con- in the context of him as a, a member of the armed services committee this is seen as somehow sinister uh, and then now the new thing that came out uh, and this shows you what kind of person Comey is he says well I can't talk about it in an open session and it turns out that there was some sort of Meeting at the Mayflower uh, Hotel, which is a hotel near where where we are right now. I've stayed there back when I was a kid uh, going to political conferences. Very expensive for uh, especially for a kid on your savings. And uh, this uh, and but he he ran into him in the hallway or something. Nobody seems to know exactly what it was. And 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 I I love it how the people on the other side they refer to Kislyak as a spy master. I've heard at least three congressmen in the last few days refer to him as a spy master. And uh, this is the ambassador who's probably the most monitored person in Washington D.C. Um, there's all kinds. Of, everybody knows this. Everything he says is uh, you know to to any American is recorded certainly. And um, uh, the idea that he's the spy master. The spy master is the guy you don't know his name. <laughs> and uh, and that's just, it's its so absurd, it's its the, I would call it a lie when, when they call him he, that. He looks physically more like the donut master, but... 
Yeah, and and so here Sessions is doing his job as a senator, uh, and uh, and then he becomes attorney general, and of course they just unleash this campaign of hate uh, against him, uh, and uh, which is what you're seeing in Washington D.C. these days. So he fights back, and uh, he says. You know, at one point, Ron Wyden asked him to to comment on this secret information, and and he said, "Well, you tell me. You you were in on the on the meeting. Uh, you heard what it was. I wasn't there. Uh, why are you asking me about something that you know about uh, and I don't?" Uh, it's uh, and the the idea. Uh, did they think this is like that TV show, The Americans? You know, where you have the deep undercover Russian agents planted in the in, in the United States, and they speak English and have kids, and the kids don't even know they're spies and so forth. Uh, is that what Jeff Sessions says? They planted him in Alabama during the Cold War so that they could have him surface today. It's just, it, it, it's so funny, and yet there are so many people who believe this nonsense, and that's how we got to where we are now. Uh, just to give a little bit of context, uh, James Comey was asked during his testimony um, why he he made some decisions uh, in regards to communicating with Jeff Sessions, and he said he knew Jeff Sessions was likely to recuse himself because of a matter that he could not discuss in uh, open session. Uh, it's not clear that he was referring to the incident at the Mayflower Hotel where he was just in the same building as, as Kislyak. Um, but uh, either way, uh, I agree with you entirely that um, the the question, questioning Sessions on what this was, when even if there was something, the senator could not have said it in open session, was a clear <laughs> political tactic. So it's ridiculous. That's one of the, the ways the smear merchants work in Washington. Um, one of the ways is you have investigations that just go on and on and on. And this one's been going on now for what, what are we, 11 months now, something like that. Uh, you, and they never end. And I've discussed that on the show before where, uh, the, the investigation of Newt Gingrich into a matter that I was, uh, uh, peripherally involved in and he had been cleared in an IOS, IRS report. And then they were ordered, the IRS agents were ordered by the Clinton people not to release it so that Newt would always be under a cloud. I was at another organization that was investigated because of charges made by our political opponents. And we were found innocent. And then they just never told anybody that we had been found innocent. So we were always under that cloud. And you can't raise money. You can't do a lot of things. People, you, people think you're a crook. And that's how it works. And the other thing is you hide behind classification. You say, oh, well, I know something you don't. And one of the things I've learned from uh, my experience with the intelligence community uh, is that often they just don't. And I'm not being critical of people in the IC because they're often asked to find out things or, or make judgments about things that they just don't have enough information to, to, to make those judgments. Uh, so so I, I'm very sympathetic to, to them and their plight in that regard. But so often, most of the time in a political context, when they say, oh, well, I know something you don't, um, they're either lying or when you finally find out what it was, it turns out it was either nothing or they just completely misinterpreted it or they put their political uh, feelings into it and they made the judgment on that part. Uh, it's uh, it's a scan. No one should ever be allowed to get away with. Well, I just can't tell you in open in, in an open session. So it seems like broadly, uh, Sessions's testimony was uh, well received. There was not a lot of criticism in the mainstream media, as we've seen with um, other testimonies previously. Uh, but there were two big criticisms that uh, were leveled. Uh, where it was reported on. And one was uh, Jeff Sessions repeatedly answered questions with 
I don't recall, um, which some perceived as a tactic to avoid answering. Um, and the other is that Democrats were furious um, because Sessions refused to talk about private discussions he's had with President Trump, uh, um, which Democrats said there was no legal grounding for doing as he did not openly invoke uh, executive privilege. So uh, what are your thoughts on, on those issues? Look, people people uh, say I don't recall in order to get out of answering questions in order to effectively lie by not answering a question that they know the answer to. They also say it because they can't remember. And, uh, you know, I have a hard time remembering what I had for supper two nights ago. Uh, so to ask, one of the things that they do, it's called a perjury trap, is you set up a situation where somebody is forced to answer a question that they may not remember all the details. You know, were you at that meeting with that fellow uh, at, 17 months ago, uh, you know, what, what, and, and they, they legitimately don't remember if they try to answer it and then give something, some information that's, that turns out to be wrong. And people's memories are very flawed. Uh, I've studied eyewitness testimony and how often people remember things very clearly that never happened. And you're talking about something that you had no reason particularly to remember at the time, uh, in a lot of cases, then, uh, uh, you know, it's better just to say, I don't recall if you don't really recall. So, you know, okay, I can see where somebody would interpret that as, uh, uh, as, as his way of avoiding it as we did, uh, people on my side of the, uh, uh, of the, of the investigation of the Clintons, uh, when Hillary would go before a grand jury and she would say, I don't recall what was it, 134 times. I forget the number, but a huge number of times it was to the point where Rush Limbaugh did a famous parody of her, uh, singing, uh, you know, the, the song, try to remember. And, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, so, so we look at that and we see, uh, we see evil and, and, and people who are defenders are going to say, well, they just don't really remember. So that happened. It's going to happen in this case. And it is it is ridiculous because so many of the questions he's he were at, he was asked were either really small details of things that happened months ago that are important now because of the investigation that's going on, but certainly were not particularly noteworthy things at the time, such as was he in the same building with Kislyak at, at some event, not even next to each other necessarily. Or in, a, then, in, a, in, a room, in a room with 100 people, in, yeah. including 14 other ambassadors. Yeah, you know. and, and then also... Which keeps being referred to as a meeting, even though... The, you know, not. only in the broadest sense of the term could it be called a meeting. Right, and then also things about them... The, the senators asking for details about other people associated with the Trump administration, who Sessions is not. And so he would not necessarily recall details of all of their goings on. Um, so I, I think that's a ridiculous criticism. And what about his refusing to answer questions about conversations with Trump? Uh, Matthew, I know you answered that a little bit um, earlier, but do you want to go into more detail about how that functions legally? Well, he was asked uh, questions about whether pardons were discussed, for example, um, uh, in connection with this ongoing saga. And he said that he is not, uh, I don't think he said, I don't recall. I think he said that um, he's not going to answer that question. That's correct. Uh, because the presumption has to be, and he said it in a more roundabout lawyerly way, but my, my interpretation was, the presumption has to be that these conversations are confidential, 
so and then if an objection is raised that uh, that you know he should have to, he should be compelled to answer the question the president should be given an opportunity to raise a claim of executive privilege and then it can be dealt with at that time so he was he said he explained to the senators on the intelligence committee that he was acting to preserve the right of the president to invoke executive privilege on matters where he seemed to think executive privilege might might rightly be applied. Well, this is this is akin to uh, bringing somebody in and saying, well, you know, you had a conversation with your lawyer. What did your lawyer say to you or saying to the lawyer? What did you say to your client? Uh, You can't you, you, you can't do that. The attorney general in our system of government is the lawyer for the president of the United States in that in the president's capacity as president, not personal stuff, but things having to do with uh, his or her functions as president. And you know, that that is just that's one of the bedrock legal principles. You can't bring them in, drag them in front of of a, a you know, a worldwide television audience and uh, and and say and compel them to say what was said in a private conversation regarding legal matters. And a Republican senator uh, very correctly pointed out that this was not a surprise that he was going to do this. Eric Holder used to do the same thing uh, when he would testify. Um, so let's move on to James Comey's testimony. Um, last time we discussed Comey after he was fired, we got in a in a bit of an argument because I like James Comey very much. I consider him uh, an honorable man. Uh, and, you know, I, I certainly don't think the fact that he's just doing an investigation uh, that there's anything wrong with that um, unless it's going on in an improper way, which I have not seen evidence of. But I know you guys have felt differently about James Comey. Um, so so what did you think about his testimony and what impact have you seen it have so far? Well, he used the word cowardly to describe himself when he was talking about uh, how he responded to the, the president. And I think that's uh, I think that's a, a good a good choice of words. Uh, you know, th- this idea that being in the Oval, I mean, you're you've been U.S. attorney in two different districts, deputy attorney general of the United States. You're you're the FBI director for several years. You're in, and you're intimidated by the president of the United States. I tell you what, let's do an experiment. Um, uh, uh, Mr. President, if you're out Sorry, there listening. So Steve, could you just clarify for our uh listeners who might not be uh, so familiar with the testimony. What, how, in what way would, did he claim to be intimidated? Well, when he was asked, why didn't you, you know, you, you supposedly the president said these things to you, uh, and, you know, said uh, that uh, Flynn had, had essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, but Flynn had suffered enough. He was a patriot, served his country for many decades. Uh, he had uh, lost his job. He is now facing uh, legal bills that are probably going to ruin him, uh, you know, and so here, here this guy is. Nobody is really come up with anything uh, definitive against him. He's not involved in the Russia thing in any material way. That came out during the hearings. So, you know, go easy on the guy. Uh, and that's, and now I'm, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that was, this is my characterization of what Comey said, and I think it's fair characterization, not necessarily what actually happened. But still, in his interpretation, uh, that's what Flynn, that's what the president said regarding Flynn, uh, which, by the way, the president can pardon Flynn. He could he could legally say, I want you to shut this investigation down. Don't do it anymore. I mean, that is within his legal authority because the FBI director works for the president of the United States. Uh, so so but in any event, so Comey 
at the time doesn't report it. He doesn't go to the deputy attorney general, uh, uh, who's who's his immediate superior. He doesn't go to the White House counsel and say, hey, you can't have the president talking to me like this. And, and obviously uh, the president's not a lawyer. So there are times when he might say something that a lawyer would know not to say that he's not going to say, uh, that he would go ahead and say because he doesn't know any better. Um, and he, uh, uh, Comey doesn't go to the appropriate congressional authorities. He doesn't do anything. He just uh, writes himself a memo uh, on a government computer. Uh, in his capacity as uh, FBI director, which means it's U.S. government property, uh, that memo is, and then ends up sending it to a friend of his who is the go-between who then leaks it to the New York Times. Uh, he also characterizes where the president said things like, uh, you know, you should let it out. Now that you've told me three times that I'm not the subject of this investigation, you should go out and, uh, and announce that to the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is... This is something that, again, what they do in Washington is they investigate you and it never comes to an end. So they never announce, they just never announce that you've been cleared, even if you've been cleared. So the president's trying to get him to do that, and that's totally proper. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and yet he characterized it as something sinister. Well, so, hold, so, hold on, Steve. Let, let me stop you there, because he did comment on that uh, during his testimony and gave a very specific reason for why he did not say <laughs> that publicly. The duty to revise? Was, is that is that what we're talking yes, about? Yes, which of uh -huh. course we saw him run into issues with that when it came to Hillary because Clinton. Because he, he specifically because a, he had said he would report later if the situation changed. That's the only reason that came up. Otherwise, again, you would never clear anybody because they might in the future be the subject of an investigation no matter who it is and what they've done. So that's total nonsense. He made it up. Uh, there's, it's, it's, I don't know, you know, did he make it up on the spur of the moment? I don't know, but it's ridiculous. And so, uh, here you have, uh, to, but to not revise would be to actively mislead the public. If you say somebody's not under investigation and then they become under investigation and How? you still have your statement out there, then you're misleading the public about the state of facts, which is why I think he did very much the right thing when he made that <laughs> statement about Hillary Clinton. Oh, if I say somebody's alive and they later die, I'm under no obligation to go on the air and report that that person has died. I can do it, but I don't have to. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's, I mean, well, again, it was, it was, that's what obituaries are. The statement would have been true at the time. Right, and every person who's mentioned in the newspaper doesn't get an obituary. That's what you're saying. That you have, a, if you say that person's alive, you have a, a duty to come back later when they're dead and report that they're dead. And no, you don't. And, and, and he doesn't have any obligation. I mean, that, that would be absolutely, you could never say that anybody was, was not under investigation. And, 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 and you could accuse anybody of anything. If you were a, a, a senator, you could say somebody's under investigation. And then the FBI, well, we can't, we can't say he's not. And, and then it would, the, the word in the press would be that he was. Look, uh, repeatedly, repeatedly, Comey referred to himself as being stunned that the president would ask him this. Well, he wasn't stunned enough to report it. And by the way, on May the 3rd, after this, he said he had not been intimidated to drop the investigation under oath. So when did it change? Well, it changed when Trump criticized him and called him a showboat. And we know that because he said so. He said then later he woke up at three o'clock. Was it three o'clock in the morning? I think it was three o'clock in the morning. And, and he realized, well, after Trump made the comment and said, you know, well, he better hope there's not tapes out there. He, he realized he needed to get his side of the story out. Well, wait a minute. If there are tapes, wh what are you responding to? You're responding to the actuality. You know, if that were played, if you go in Times Square, uh, uh, connect it to the big audio system there and play it for the world to, to hear. 
you know, what, what do you got, what have you got a problem with it if you're telling the truth? So, but he suddenly decides that now he needs to get this memo, which is government property, and he needs to get that out. So he's a leaker. He's been, uh, there are at least, there are various analysts say there are between three and nine other cases of leaking that appear to be Comey or someone very close to Comey, encouraged by Comey to leak things. We know, for example, that one of the reasons the president said in his tweet that, uh, well, there might be tapes, was because Comey was going around telling people that the president was much more forceful in trying to get this investigation dropped. In other words, he was telling a story that would get out on the rumor mill, and then when Trump says that about the tapes, then he sort of steps back a little bit and he gets a more nuanced, careful version out. That's what people do when they've been, you know, I, I know I won't even call it lying because if you talk to your friends, you, you ever told a story to your friends and you kind of embellish it a little bit uh, and then you get caught because it turns out somebody else saw what happened and then they, they know that your embellishment was there. Um, I think it's something like that with this regard. But my point is he kept saying he was stunned. He didn't know what to do. Uh, and he again, he called himself a little cowardly for not saying to the president, Mr. President, you can't say things like that to me. I don't want a coward as director of the FBI. And, 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 and let me make this very clear. I get, oh, well, he's, you're in to see the president. The president's a big, important guy. You know, as a reporter, I was going after, like, the number two guy in the state legislature when I was a teenager, okay? This, this doesn't mean anything. It'd be, and then what I was saying earlier, Mr. President, if you're listening uh, and you'd like to be a guest on this show, uh, we'll have you in. And I'm going to ask you some really tough questions because as much as I respect the office of the presidency and so on, I would absolutely go after a lot of things in a discussion with you because I'm not intimidated by the president of the United States and I'm not FBI director. Isn't that funny how that works? I, I don't recall James Comey actually ever describing himself as a coward or intimidated. I think what he said was he was shocked, if I recall correctly. He also Which, said cowardly. Did, did he actually say that? Yes, he said he, he felt it was a little cowardly. Okay, fair enough. But I, either way, he's somebody who has said, I want, if there are tapes, I want to get those tapes out there so that they can corroborate the version of events that I have presented. And, and yet he clearly felt he Trump had to has hinted to that. there. Clearly Trump has hinted there have been tapes. But uh, we're not seeing tapes. So why is that? Well, there probably aren't tapes. It was probably the president trying to intimidate Comey into telling the truth. If I, if I think somebody's lying about me, I could very well say, you know, you better be careful because there might be a tape recording of that conversation. And then that changes that person's behavior. And we know it changed Comey's behavior because he said it did. And then he, he did this leaking which is highly well, improper. Hold, hold yeah. on. He, he didn't say that it, um, yes, he it said changed he woke his up, behavior he woke in up terms at of... 3 o'clock in the but, morning yes, yes, and, and decided Steve, to leak the memo. Steve, may I? Yes, that's what he said. He did not say that it changed the way that he uh, talked about it descriptively in any sense, just that in that he chose to... Um, I, I won't necessarily... I don't know, perhaps the right word wouldn't be talk about, but reveal it publicly. Yeah. But that's that's nothing descriptively was changed there. Right. I'm saying it changed his behavior and that he had not released the memo. And then he decides to release the memo, which is our property and uh, which is totally improper for him to do and uh, to, to release it to The New York Times. I mean, look, we're not talking about releasing it to the appropriate congressional committee or other authorities. We're talking about releasing this thing. And by the way, 
conversations with the president, um, sometimes they are, uh, there are situations where they're automatically classified in when you're talking about uh, top officials talking to each other. And that's because the president needs to be able to talk to his top advisors. And if they decide to bomb a certain city or something like that, that it not leak out without, uh, you don't have to go through a classification process for that to be classified. But in any event, he didn't care about any of that. He cared about, as he said, getting a special counsel appointed. And then who gets appointed? His mentor gets appointed. And then who does he hire as his first four lawyers? Four contributors to the Democrats. One had made small contributions to Republicans as well. But that includes a woman whose job was to keep the FOIA requests, the information requests, from applying to the Clinton Foundation during the Clinton email scandal. So this is someone who was essentially a lawyer for Hillary Clinton during this, the email scandal where she confessed to stealing 66,000 government documents, and, and, and that's on the team. And also on there is the lawyer who represented the U.S. in the Arthur Anderson case, where you had a company that went from, I believe, 28,000 employees down to 200 because of a conviction for ex, uh, obstruction of justice, which the Supreme Court threw out nine to nothing saying that the government had given uh, a false, had caused to be given a false instruction to the jury that you didn't have to know what you were doing, you know, you, that you could do what uh, was a, uh, you were accused of being obstruction of justice, and that you could do it honestly. This was involving Arthur Anderson uh, financial records, uh, which were destroyed, and uh, that you could do it honestly, thinking you were perfectly right legally, uh, and you could still be convicted. And the Supreme Court said that's ridiculous. And they threw it out nine to nothing. And the person who did that. So, so there's actually an article by uh, Jonathan Turley, the law professor, on this fellow and what that means in terms of how they're going to go after the president, possibly on obstruction of justice, when clearly that's not what we have. It's not obstruction of justice to say the guy who I could pardon with the stroke of a pen, uh, that he's innocent and he should be he should be treated accordingly or he's suffered enough for whatever little offenses there might be, and he, and he should be treated accordingly. I, I can't speak to the, uh, to the lower downs in the investigation, but Robert Mueller is somebody that everybody across all sides of the aisle has, um, has, has said this is an honorable, trustworthy person to head up this investigation. And even uh, your friend, Newt Gingrich, you know, originally said when he was appointed uh, that this was a great person before pivoting uh, later on. Um, so yeah, I, I know everybody. I, I can't help. Right. I can't help but think that criticisms of Robert Mueller just might, just might, maybe be politically motivated. Right, and all the Democrats wanted Comey fired until he got fired, and then they didn't want him fired. I look, I get it. It's Washington. It's politics. They Everybody's want, hypocritical. They, they, it, it wasn't that they liked him in that. That's not. That's not fair to what they were trying to say. What they were trying to say is that we're concerned about the reasons and the timing of his firing. Not that they loved James Comey and were oh so happy with everything he's ever done. I know. Now he's everybody's hero and he was the goat. I get it. It's Washington. The slide, the sides switch based on the uh, which which way the wind is blowing and who 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 you need to destroy to have a good argument. I get that. But the fact is, this was before he did the things that he's done and the revelations that we've had, which is that his protege said to Congress and on national television, international television, that he had helped engineer 
uh, Mueller's appointment, uh, and that that's why he leaked this memo. And then and then you have the people. You know, it's bad enough with the Justice Department. Ninety-seven percent of the contributions from the Justice Department uh, in the Hillary versus Trump went to Hillary. So you've already got a hostile environment there, highly. And I've written a lot about how really bad and anti-democratic, small d, the people at the Justice Department have been over the last few years. But anyway, it's bad enough. But then to to then you make no effort to really. Uh, I mean, there are plenty of you know, uh, conservative lawyer, Republican lawyers, uh, people who supported Trump, say, but are considered so honest that they would go wherever they need to go. And that would help uh, make it uh, a little better in terms of people trusting this investigation. But right now, you know, you're not allowed to have a special relationship with a uh, with a witness and be the special counsel. And I think being somebody's mentor is a special relationship. I think the person helping you get your job as special counsel is a special relationship. Uh, and then the excuse they've made is, well, he's not going to be a witness because none of what Comey said is going to be needed in this investigation. Well, then why are, why why was this the uh, testimony of the century, the way it was characterized uh, pretty much by the media and by the Democrats? One contradiction after another, and none of it holds up. I don't really, I, I didn't really see uh, contradictions. I think we'll leave discussion about uh, Robert Mueller there just to stay focused on uh, the testimony itself. But personally, I think a broad swath of the right, just from a political standpoint, are playing this totally the wrong way because I think there's so many things that Comey said in this in this testimony that are favorable to them. Number one, he confirmed, which he had not previously done publicly, we'd only heard it from Trump and the administration, that Trump was not, at least in his time uh, at the FBI, under investigation. He also uh, spoke very negatively of, uh, of uh, Loretta Lynch, um, who saying that he was very concerned as well about the way that uh, she tried to uh, politically intervene in the uh, FBI by trying to get them to refer to the Hillary Clinton email investigation as a matter rather than a criminal investigation. Which, of course, um, was, and, and he even he made the mm -hmm. point, which was the language used by the Clinton campaign in their effort to persuade everyone that Hillary wasn't under investigation when she was. So it was a deceptive term. And yeah, he was ordered, and he and he was ordered to do, and he and did he it. refused that he, order. Well, but that's but <laughs> he but, didn't do it. He refused that order and continued to refer to. Well, it as he did. He didn't turn. He didn't. He didn't call Lynch on it. He didn't. He didn't expose her at the time. Uh, Nor it, did he in, uh, expose Donald Trump at the time. He only exposed Donald Trump after his firing became a news story. And when there was the uh, and, and we're in a little bit in the dark on this because uh, they refer to this document and you hear different versions of what it was. But the uh, it appears to be a document between two officials. Uh, which indicated that uh, Loretta Lynch was in the tank, that she was going to protect Hillary. Uh, and then he confronts Loretta Lynch with this, according to his account, and there's steely silence. Uh, and then she says, uh, well, I forget the exact terminology, but something like, well, if, that, if, if you don't have anything else to say, why don't you get out of my office? Words to that effect. Uh, and, uh, and, but again, you know, what did he do about it? That's the question. It, he didn't do anything about... I mean, what he did cowardice. to Loretta Lynch was say no and not do that. And what he did when he felt um, uh, uh, like his independence was being threatened by Donald Trump was tell uh, Attorney General Sessions, uh, please speak to the president about proper 
uh, and professional chains of communication between the president and uh, the head of the FBI. So he did very similar things in, in both cases in terms of how he handled that, which is he went to the appropriate authority and said, uh, let's not have it happen this way. And when he cleared Hillary or did whatever he did in that famous statement where he said she was guilty, but he wasn't going to go after her for indictment. And remember, this decision had been knocked over to him because of the uh, tarmac meeting, which only came out uh, because of one reporter that was between Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton uh, right before Hillary was supposed to give her uh, statement to the FBI, which was not under oath, by the way. And various of her top people were given immunity improperly, in my view. No reason for that. Uh, and they were. So here you have something that looks like— You can't like, say that you know that without knowing the details of the investigation and what information well, there they were, thought they might have been able to get. Well, the, which was Cheryl know. Mills her lawyer or was Cheryl Mills one of the people uh, who, were, who was a person of interest? Because you can't, you can't be, you know, if you're given immunity, then uh, you're sort of, you're in the clear. You're taken out of the, out of the loop. You don't have, the, the authorities don't have anything to hold over you to make you tell the truth. And so that's what happened in the Hillary investigation. But in any of that, she can, Hillary Whoa. confessed. Immunity is a tool that law enforcement can use to get people to tell the truth when they otherwise might plead the fifth. But the, the, the point is that he had Hillary's confession. He then concocted this idea that she had to have essentially evil intent when the intent is to do what she did. In other words, did she accidentally put her emails on a server because she didn't understand how email worked? Or was this something to divert the emails to? Well, she put a server in her basement, for goodness sake. people, That is not an accident. And so, so and yet he lets her off the hook. And he says, well, no prosecutor would bring this case. Lots of prosecutors and, and, and contradicted invented that. invented the, the intent uh, uh, standard, the intent test. Right. Because it's not relevant in Espionage Act or, or national security prosecutions. Well, let's move on from the Hillary Clinton investigation, though, because luckily for us, that is old news by this point. She is not president. Um, and th uh, thank God for that. And thank God for that. But the the... The one other thing I wanted to mention of why I think the right is playing this wrong and should be talking about this testimony as a, as a great thing for them is uh, he also called out the media for being inaccurate about the Russia investigation repeatedly, specifically, but specifically in regards to a uh, New York, at the time, major New York Times article from February saying that there had been repeated contacts between uh, um uh, campaign members and Russian intelligence, which he said was uh, basically essentially completely untrue. And, and that's why there, there was the uh, president wanting him to announce that, you know, that he was not the subject of the investigation that he told him three, that he had said to the president right. three times, you know, here are the New York Times, which people on the left actually believe uh, is is saying this that there's like in in a tone of this is the smoking gun this is it the trump people are russian spies we got them and it's affecting the president his ability to get everything done and he wants to be cleared because he's innocent and uh and that's what everything points to uh is that he is in fact innocent and he's asking him to do that. And this is treated by people on the other side as if, oh, well, he's guilty, but he's trying to shut down the investigation. It's a different thing if you're innocent and you, you know, want to be cleared as you are, in fact, innocent. You know, it's not obstruction of injustice is not the same as obstruction of justice. OK, so before we wrap up the episode, we should deal with just one more important topic from this, because the big story going into the testimony and 
we've heard broadly less after it was, could there possibly be an obstruction of justice charge against uh, Donald Trump for the at least perceived, perhaps factual um, um, uh, interruptions in the independence of the FBI? So uh, one story that was run after the after the testimony was former assistant special Watergate prosecutor Nick Ackerman said in an interview to CNBC that there is, quote, no question Trump is involved in obstruction of justice. Um, he elaborated that obstruction of justice is an intent crime. If his, if his intent was to impede, interfere, or stop that uh, investigation, that's obstruction. And obviously that's specifically in regards to uh, what uh, Trump told Comey about hoping he could let the, the Mike Flynn investigation go. So, yeah. so what do you think about that? Could there be an obstruction of justice charge? Good, good Is luck this guy that. credible? Yeah, good luck proving that. Um, I, I don't think that's gonna, going to be taken seriously. This is, um, uh, this is an, a never-Trumper uh, grasp, desperately grasping at straws. Uh, there's no underlying crime. They're not covering up anything. Uh, and... You know, to, to to divine from President Trump's um, on-the-record comments and public statements any kind of malicious intent, any kind of bad intent, corrupt intent, uh, is going to be impossible. So that's my view as a non-lawyer. What does the actual lawyer here think? Uh, impeachment is something that happens if the politicians want it to happen uh, and doesn't happen if they don't. And unfortunately, the Republicans are, uh, many of them are either never Trumpers or they're uh, wimps. And so they just sort of sit there. Uh, they don't go after Loretta Lynch when the opening is there uh, regarding uh, that uh, obstruction of justice. And um, so I think, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what's true in that regard. Uh, they're going to seize on this and they're going to claim it and they're going to say it over and over and over and over again and run hours on MSNBC every night about it uh, to the point where many people are going to believe it, probably 40, 44 percent maybe of the people are going to believe it. And uh, and then we'll see what happens from there. But no, there in, in the real world, which unfortunately is not Washington, but in the real world, that would be ridiculous, particularly because uh, the president is the chief law enforcement officer of the United States and uh, is is given broad. You have to if he stopped an investigation, you would essentially have to prove to get obstruction of justice that otherwise he would have been the person uh, brought down by the investigation that that or you have to make a threat and it has to be very specific or, you know, I'm going to have you killed. That would be uh, if you investigate this, that would be an example of a threat uh, or it has to be something corrupt, meaning that he would have been the target of the investigation. And, and the one thing we know is he was cleared. <laughs> so so that can't be the case. But again, this is Washington, not the real world. Also, as we learned from the Hillary Clinton investigation, the bar for proving intent is is really, really high. And, you know, to he, he it's very well possible that by saying, I hope you can let this go, uh, he, he intended uh, to stop it in, in a malicious way, in my opinion, at least perhaps not yours. But it's certainly not provable in a court of law that that's, you know, uh, that that's what he intended by that. I mean, there's so many other possible interpretations, many of which you've discussed and other people uh, in the media uh, have discussed. Um, and so, was, as was pointed out during the, the hearing, 
nobody's ever gone to jail for obstruction of justice for saying I hope. I get it if you think Donald Trump is a combination of John Gotti and Adolf Hitler, that you interpret that as, a, as an intimidating thing to say, but you can pretty well interpret anything he has to say as intimidating if that's what you think about Donald Trump. Okay, so. any last thoughts on uh, Comey's testimony before we wrap up? I have sympathy for Comey. Look, you know, he's this guy who clearly, I, I, I don't mean that, I don't mean that as a as a as an ad hominem that he's a coward. I think he's shown that he's not willing to stand up to people uh, above him. That's a personality trait. Uh, unfortunately, when you're in politics at that level, people do get to analyze your personality. Uh, I think he tried in some way to be honorable, and now he's in the position of covering himself and trying to uh, uh, make himself look like the actions that he took were reasonable. And it's a combination of self-delusion. You always think that uh, you know you were doing the right thing at the time and uh, just being a politician and trying to survive in Washington. This comes out of the FBI. Remember at one point during the hearings, he said the FBI has been traditionally independent. That's nonsense. What, the only reason the FBI was traditionally independent is because J. Edgar Hoover and his sidekick, Mark Felt, who turned out to be Deep Throat, that they had all the blackmail files on everybody. And, uh, you know, this and, and if when the Republicans found out that JFK was sleeping with an East German spy, they went around to him and said, well, guess what? Uh, we'll find out this thing about your sister or your wife or your brother uh, uh, or you. Uh, and and you don't want that out, so you're going to drop this investigation. That's where the FBI was traditionally independent because it was a, a law into itself. And the left used to hate that. I mean, nobody was hated by the left more than J. Edgar Hoover. But gosh, you know well, now and, they and and in the left uh, the the the, uh, the left ranting and raving against COINTELPRO, uh, an operation against hippies and uh, and uh, terrorist communist uh, revolutionaries in the 60s and the 1970s that the FBI ran. Yeah, and, and of course the left hated Mark Felt specifically because he was the guy who went after Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, the people who launched Barack Obama's uh, career with a, a, a reception at their house uh, and were close associates of his. And, uh, and, and Mark Felt had spied on them illegally, and that's why they got off, because uh, the, he had spied on them illegally at the FBI. But anyway, the point is that the, the, the Jager Hoover, Mark Felt, uh, FBI, they hated, hated, hated those guys. And now they're looking back to them as, uh, as the kind of model that uh, the FBI should follow. And uh, I, I think it, you know, people switch sides depending on which way, uh, whichever argument works for them i couldn't have said it better <laughs> that's our so show. i won't <laughs> <laughs> that's our show for this week we'll be back next week and we hope you'll join us if you're not already please subscribe to this podcast on itunes and stitcher and follow us on social media at capital research center on facebook and youtube and at capital research on twitter i'm dr stephen j allen chief matters officer and vice president of the capital research center and I'm Matthew Batum, Senior Vice President at Capital Research Center. And I'm Jake Klein. Thanks for listening.